Hey guys, the movie this week really rocks. I mean, yeah, sure, it was pretty good. I mean, I would say that this movie was solid as a rock. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, you know what I'm saying, right? Like, it really rocked my world. Why does he keep making rock comments? I don't know. <laughs> satirists and welcome to swords and satire the podcast will return low fantasy into high art i'm your dungeon manager jamie mokel here with my eternal co-host oh yeah that's me <laughs> <laughs> i'm chelsea here your seer in training it's a good living i'm still learning how to you know control my gifts I have visions at uh, uncomfortable times. <laughs> <laughs> and that means you're still a virgin too, right? Uh, that's just a myth. Uh, I would little never... known fact. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> well, Jack is MIA this week, but we have a special guest that's to right. fill his gigantic shoes. It's our friend Casey! Hey, it's Casey, and I'm a scantily clad woman. <laughs> <laughs> like all the women in this film. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Boobs McGee. Yeah. Metal bikinis everywhere. Oh, yeah. Well, if you can't tell from our introduction, this week we watched The Scorpion King. Released in 2002. Directed by Chuck Russell, director of... The Mask, and Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors, my favorite of the Nightmare on Elm Streets. Oh yeah, that one's great. <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's, a, it's a great movie. It's, it's the best one by far. Absolutely my favorite. But the biggest star of this movie was The Rock. Oh, The Rock is in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. This movie stars The Rock as the titular character. And his The nipples. Scorpion King. And, and, and his nipples. And, and his nipples, <laughs> yes. Titular character in both ways. Nice. <laughs> 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 Just for the listener, Casey is making a bubbly uh, booby motion. <laughs> bubbly booby. Bubbly, bobbly. I guess bobbly booby. Bubbly booby. Bubbly. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, the movie also stars Kelly Who, Michael Clark Duncan, Stephen Brand, Grant uh, Heslov, Bernard Hill, etc., etc. More people <laughs> who are actors and possibly professional wrestlers. Some of them, some of the other people definitely look like they could have been like C-list WWF stars, yeah, but I'm not totally. sure. And you'd think I would know of all people, but. I couldn't tell you. But enough about the people in the movie. Let's hear what happened in the film. Yeah, because there's going to be a summary coming up here. Yeah. Right. Here's your summary for this movie. <laughs> so we have an invading force led by a man named Memnon sometime before the pyramids were built. Maybe in Mesopotamia? He's been going around conquering all the smaller civilizations and the neighboring tribes Just around the area. conquering everyone he can see. And he's being informed by a sorcerer who has visions and tells him where to go to conquer people the best. <laughs> go kill those guys. Okay, now go kill those guys. And everybody's afraid of him. They think he can't fail because of the magical influence. He's too big to fail. What can you say? And, but there's a resistance group. Ooh. And they're, this one king guy, we don't know his name, brought together all of the tribes around the area who don't want to bow to Memnon's rule. And he hired the Akkadians, three of the last remaining assassins, 
And our boy, The Rock, is one of these guys. Damn right he is. <laughs> they He hired them to go kill the sorcerer to end Memnon's rule and uh, era of tyranny. No sorcerer equals no rule. <laughs> so, The Rock goes by Matthias in this movie. No, I'm pretty sure he's just called <laughs> The Rock in the movie, too. <laughs> he and his two bros go into Memnon's war camp to try to do away with his sorcerer, but lo and behold, she's a hot lady. Can't kill her. <laughs> yeah. In a sexy bikini. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know the bikinis they used to wear in the ancient Mesopotamia, Fertile Valley area here that the movie is taking place in? <laughs> Upon seeing her, Matthias realizes she's too hot to kill. <laughs> he vows to take her captive. <laughs> How noble? Question mark. Force her to work for his team. Yeah, so he is ultimately captured when he That's runs right. into the sorcerer because he's like, holy shit, it's a hot woman. Yeah. yeah. And then they capture him because he basically, like, was so stunned by yeah. uh, by Boobs. her. That's true. That, yeah, that he ends up um, getting captured and she That's right. comes up with this bogus reason for him to not die, which yeah. is basically, like... I have a vision yeah. that if you kill him, he you will have bad things happen to you, and like yeah. the, the gods favor him on this night, which is like total MacGuffin. Yeah, type she just made that up because she also realized she had the hots for Matthias. She does a lot of making up of uh, magical rules. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Memnon decides to kill him in a creative way and buries him up to his neck in the sand and lets tries to let fire ants do the job. And he's actually buried alongside a horse thief who's the comic relief of the movie. Named Arpid. Arpid escapes and uh, agrees to help Matthias get out of this uh, hot situation if he agrees to let him come on his adventures and share in the spoils. Arpid did not know what that was going to mean in the long run. So after this, they go on Operation Kidnap Sorcerer Round 2. <laughs> We're going to get it right this time. And they go to Gamora, Memnon's capital city. And after some hijinks in the city market, he hires a little urchin to help get him into the castle or the keep. Palace. Palace. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and then The Rock was uh, going to take the killing shot, but his little street urchin that he hired yeah. got captured, and having the heart of gold that he has, <laughs> he opts instead to attack the guard instead of Memnon. Um, Saving the boy. Which blows his cover and causes a fight scene <laughs> that he then flees from by, like, falling through a brothel yeah. and then meeting, I guess, what is supposed to be Da Vinci? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, uh, that's Philos. It's very absurd. And then he somehow ends up in the bathhouse of the sorcerer and they escape together through her giant bathtub's drain. Which is big enough for both of them to fit into. It, I don't understand how she ever get, survives taking a bath in that. Guys, it's a combination bathtub water slide. Like, <laughs> she's living the good life. Yeah. So he ends up getting his wish and capturing the hot sorceress after all. And uh, they try to escape through the desert on his camel... With Arpid follow running behind them. With their Arpid. <laughs> Memnon orders his red guards to go after them, and they catch up to them pretty quick uh, out there in the desert, and Matthias sees a storm coming. So he tells the sorcerer and Arpid to hide under a blanket while he rides off with this uh, storm, sandstorm on his back to fight those red guards. Yeah, The Rock is more than just a pretty face and a hot bod. Like, he's also he's also very clever and yeah. cunning in this movie, and he knows how to, like, read the signs of nature and use it to his advantage. Yeah, he's, like, part warrior, but also part rogue. He definitely yeah, goes yeah. into some roguelike tendencies to fight that battle and escape with his life. Stealthy yeah. for a 6'6", six 275-pound six, man. <laughs> well, after Stealthy. some uh, stealthy hijinks and killing most of the guards, the captain of the Red Guards gets him with a poison-tipped arrow. 
Scorpion poison. Yeah. And uh, he's poisoned. And that night, the sorceress eats part of his soul to heal him. (laughs) You guys really need to watch Lost Girl. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she kind of faints after that. Uh, but, but before that, she says that he will always have this venom of the scorpion running through his veins. <laughs> yes, we have, to, we have to set up the movie that this is a distant prequel to, which is yeah. The Mummy 2. Yeah. I love so that movie. in the morning, his wound is completely healed, but he's still part man, part scorpion inside. Yeah. Which, ne- <laughs> yeah, which never becomes relevant in any other way throughout the entire movie. And it's never mentioned again. Nope. <laughs> So they make their way to an oasis where they realize that they've happened upon one of the tribe's civilizations or, or encampments. Uh, yeah, and they get kidnapped and uh, we see Balthazar there who is one of the men from the original meeting where the Acadians were hired to kill the sorcerer. Yeah, and so they're one of the rebel groups. Yeah, they're one of the rebel groups and it's a tribe of Nubians. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Balthazar does not like that the rock and the sorcerer have shown up at his doorstep because yeah. he believes that where the sorcerer goes, Memnon's men will follow and all of his tribe will perish. Um, and then there's a fight between him and the rock, which honestly just felt like an excuse for them to have two wrestling dudes duke it out. Yep. <laughs> I am okay with that. <laughs> And then they resolve the fight by just kind of being like, okay, bro. And then that was like the end of it. Yeah, Matthias was just like, hey, you know what? We're bros. Yeah, it's dude code. (laughs) If you kick the crap out of each other and everyone's fine in the end, then you're best friend. (laughs) (laughs) They have a little party that night. The sorceress has a vision that they're all going to die. So, I mean, in that regard, Balthazar is right. Yeah, he was right. And she goes and she tells The Rock about her vision. And basically The Rock is like, I I, I make my own stories or (laughs) I make my own destiny. And she's like, bitch, I'm literally a sorcerer. Like, you really, you know. But her protestations (laughs) are not enough to prevent them from boning down. Yeah. Yeah, He's He's like, now that you're here. (laughs) Yeah, let's let's cut it with this prophecy BS. Let's get down to pound town. (laughs) And so, yeah, she basically pulls a one-night stand on him. Yeah. She, like, you know, hits it and quits it. And yeah. uh, takes off to protect the village. Yep. And returns to Memnon, um, pretending like she she escaped on her own and right. had used her guile to get there. But he suspects something's up and yeah. basically puts her to a test to find out if she has been defiled intense eye roll here. We all hated um, this part. Because if she has sex, she no longer has her sorcerer powers. And he thinks that she has lost her sorcerer powers. Yeah, he suspects. And the rock, noticing that she has left, decides to go after his lady love. That's right. Like I said, that loving was so good, he just couldn't deal with the one night stand. He had to go like follow her. And there was no like texting back then, so... Yeah, and our... Uh, our bro Balthazar was like, hey, I want to come too. Despite being like very averse to getting involved in any of this, he's like, wait, I want some of the glory too. Well, The Rock gives a rousing speech after their fight. True. So he's, so everyone is like, oh yeah, well we better like roll with this dude. They're yep. Team Rock hit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he makes his way back to Gamora following after the sorcerer. So Her name is Cassandra, but I don't think anyone ever says that in the movie. Someone says it once, I think. So Matthias is an old hat at getting into this palace, and he just kind of waltzes right in. The Rock shows up and starts kicking ass and taking names, but Balthazar brings, like, himself and a whole bunch of his uh, Nubian ladies. That's right. His Nubian war ladies to the gates. Yeah. um, They Trojan horse it. Yeah. Dressed up as uh, sexy harem ladies for the uh, event of that evening. Um, And yeah, they basically Trojan horse it to get in. Um, And while this is going on, uh, Memnon is still testing the sorceress with this uh, weird magic trick he's making her do, basically, where he takes six vases, fills four of them with snakes, 
and then rotates them till she loses track of which one has the snakes. <laughs> and then she has A to, classic four snake Monty. And then she has to put her hand in the vases that don't have snakes to prove that she still has her powers. <laughs> it sounds yeah. as dumb as it is. <laughs> yeah. I know. And meanwhile... Uh, Matthias and Balthazar are fighting their way, trying to find her to rescue her. And meanwhile, Arpid and Philos are in the basement looking for the support stone for the entire palace so that they can blow it up with this gunpowder that he invented, (laughs) conveniently. And then we cut back to the room with the sorceress, and she's sticking her hand in a jar and comes out just fine, but it's not enough for old Memnon. So uh, he tries to fake her out and says that she's afraid. She gets really pissed off and just reaches into any old jar and grabs a snake and just starts using it like a sword at him. (laughs) The old snake sword. (laughs) And he's like, what kind of magic is this? And she's like, my magic, which like- Doesn't make any sense. All of your magic was your magic. (laughs) She's got snake magic, what can you say? And the rock is has broken in here by this point and um, starts fighting back against Memnon. And they're, they're duking it out. And then, lo and behold, Balthazar bursts in with a bunch of the other red guards that were guarding the palace. And a scrabbling fight ensues. And, of course, there's fire everywhere as well. Gotta have fire. Yeah. So, eventually, the rock fights his way back to Memnon and they're out in the courtyard where they were having the feast earlier that night and they're dueling up there. Rock Rock takes an arrow in the back and of course he finds his uh, ancestral bow, yanks the arrow out of his back and shoots Memnon right into a giant fireball explosion (laughs) that that Arpin and Philos caused, winning the day and becoming the king of Gamora. Like you do. Everybody just starts bowing down to him, and then he's like, we have to work on infrastructure. The end. (laughs) Apparently they did vote for this king. (laughs) Yeah. Well, with the summary out of the way, I guess it's time to head into the Delve. This is the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, making of, and critiques for The Scorpion King. Let's get into it. Maybe we should start with some class struggle. (laughs) (laughs) Chelsea makes a very valid point that we should probably start with some class struggle. I will argue that I think there's a little bit less clear of lines between class struggle as much as there is between the concept of, like, colonization. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Which is inherently a class-based concept in, in this type of scenario in, but. So, in some ways but i think i think that like a lot of uh memnon's men probably are not high-ranking men they're just foot soldiers who are committing these heinous acts because he actually has a misguided belief that he needs to um he mentions at some point in the film that uh, all the tribes were kind of warring and chaotic and disordered, and he basically says, like, I'm going to come in and save the day with my, like, order and, you know, laws, and I'm going to fix all the problems that are all these little infighting tribes. And so his attempt to do that involves killing a lot of the people in these tribes in yeah. order to create order. Yeah, Memnon is going to bring a thousand years of peace if he has to kill every other human being to get it. Yeah. <laughs> and I I thought that was this was like a really good example of colonization. Yeah, um, it goes along with the themes of subjugation and rebellion that were in the movie too. Yeah. Definitely. And we've got a lot of uh, kind of implications that uh, Memnon is a, let's say, a fascist dictator who 
has delusions of grandeur based on his misconceptions about himself and the world around him. He sees himself as a savior of the people. A white savior, no yeah. less. <laughs> and that's why I felt like, uh, one, he kind of sounds like he's doing this under the guise of civilizing the tribes. Yeah. I think he even might say so much. Yeah, yeah um, he's an outsider who has come to assert order through violence. Mm-hmm. Um, he does so without working with the villagers. He doesn't do so uh, by engaging them. He just attempts to take over. He and it's his... his way or the highway. Yeah. <laughs> he and his team are largely male. They carry patriarchal beliefs. Um, yeah. Most of the women that we see are either subservient to a man or belong to brothels. Right. Um, and they kind of clearly just collect cultural icons from all the places that I'm assuming that they've uh, conquered. conquered and and they seem to have no real respect for the places that they took them from so we have like belly dancers there's Egyptian motifs in the palace yeah. and there's like all these little cues it's a very weird movie because there's like a million different cultural yeah. things it's like yeah. it's this kind of broadly pan Mesopotamian mm-hmm. yeah slightly hot, yeah hot, yeah <laughs> slightly middle eastern slightly african slightly european amalgam yeah. <laughs> yeah and his team are because they are mostly white and i think he also has some arab men um but they they are fighting against a diverse group of tribes and mm-hmm. societies who have female fighters yeah yep. i was going to mention that the it's contrasted with the rebellion um, that is made up of all these tribes, like you were saying, and yeah, I I did notice like they actually have female fighters that mm-hmm. work with them, and um, they seem to be more egalitarian. I mean, they do have chieftains, but they seem to be beloved of their people. Yeah, yeah like Balthazar seems to have the respect of his people. When people speak up to him, he might be resistant to listening at first, but in the long run, he's willing to like change his mind based on what his people say to him. And I think one of the things that we kind of hinted on here, but should probably address is that this movie contains not only a wide variety of like cultural hot potness, (laughs) but the old hot pot. So there's Nubians, Akkadians, Babylonians, Sumerians, Egyptians, Arabs, Greeks, and um, Memnon is supposedly from the East, but he's just a white guy. Yeah, they seem to want to, like, pretend like he is not a white character because there's, like, a part where it shows a, a clip of him fighting and then it changes to a piece of artwork where they've kind of, like, used a darker pigment for the picture. But, like, dude's pretty white. Yeah. <laughs> and so... All of these different, you know, like, I guess, races that exist in this film are actually all played largely by characters who are not those things. Like, the Acadians are played by Samoans. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, hey, when you got the rock, you gotta (laughs) make it work. Yeah. The sorcerer is, uh, the actress is um, Chinese, English, and Hawaiian. Um, So, and then there's a lot of white guys playing, like, Egyptian characters, some people do look a little bit more in line with what their race is supposed to be, but, like, this movie is so, like, not accurate in its portrayal of anybody (laughs) that it is almost unoffensive because everybody's wrong and not, and, and they're not all just played by white people they're played by people who aren't white either it's just everybody's just wrong here we, we were commenting during the movie it's a surprisingly diverse cast yeah yeah and honestly it's kind of like besides the fact that there's magic in it and it's a fantasy movie like it's not really set in our world's past it is <laughs> some kind of strange um mythical history, you know? I mean, it's definitely a mythical history that ends up being at least somewhat parallel to ours since this is the eventual prequel to the Mummy movies that take place in a fairly familiar 1940s. Right. You know, with magic. But I think they have, like, no concept of, like, 
maps or like where no. <laughs> or races or ethnic backgrounds. They were just like, I don't know, this actor would be good for this role. And yeah. so there's vastly different representation. We've got a stunt crew, yeah. slap some yeah. uh, clothes on them, some, some period clothes, or, and go to town. Yeah, or cultural time periods because um, so many of these cultures that they mentioned were not contemporaneous. Yes. <laughs> also a mean. potential issue if you're going to yeah. take these types of things seriously. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm saying. It, it's They just made up a, a fantastical world. <laughs> I would assume that the script for this movie took about 30 minutes to write. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, despite all of that, I do really appreciate all the diversity that is in the tribes that are shown. And uh, and I I really appreciated the representation of all these groups. I mean, there's even like thieves in in this, you know, from the tribes who are good people. They're they're the good guys. They're painted as like the hero in this is not white. His his sidekick is not white. His love interest is not white. Like, yeah. there's a lot of diversity. Everybody is kind of like a different ethnicity. And there are some people who are definitely more like rough and tumble, who are still like lovable, relatable characters who are clearly coded as like, you know, you're supposed to feel sympathetic to them. Right. Yeah. So, despite the fact that this film has gratuitous issues, with the representation of women, yes, it's pretty pretty good on the front of uh, of like race Ethnic and diversity. Oh, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. It has that much going for it. <laughs> <laughs> Something that was interesting about the sorceress is um, how she is referred to. In the beginning, she's referred to as a sorcerer. And yes, they're playing the pronoun game early on. Well, and she's given some measure of mystique and mystery in that way, but also uh, it kind of gives her more power and kind of elevates her status, I think. And then later on, when she returns back to Memnon to try to save those tribes, he calls her a sorceress. And uh, I, I don't know. I didn't know if that was just a script inconsistency or if it was a... Well, that was what I was just going to say. Yeah. yeah. I, so I don't know if it was that or if it had something to do with um, him not showing a little bit of distrust in her because he wasn't sure why she, how she came to be able to come back. But later, when she's clearly working in opposition to him, he calls her a witch. And um, What a dick. <laughs> that's actually pretty common in um, a lot of cultures when you'll have different names for the same type of individual, usually a healer or um, somebody who's connected to the spiritual world in some way. They'll have one name if they're working for your group and another name if they're working against you. I think it indicates a certain level of misogyny as well because at first when he has her, uh, sorry, when Memnon has the sorcerer, under his control, he he kind of, like, he wants her as his wife at some point. He yeah. says he's going to hold on to her and have her as his wife. Um, but the only reason he doesn't do it is because he believes that if he were to sleep with her, that she would lose her powers. So he is waiting until he has conquered all the lands before he properly takes her as his wife. Um, but during that time, he calls her sorcerer. And then he downgrades her, and I don't know if it would be downgrading, but it potentially could be by gendering her title to sorceress when she comes back and he feels like maybe she's betrayed him. And then when she actually proves that she is betraying him, he downgrades her further to witch, yeah. which is often a term used uh, as like a misogynistic <laughs> slur for, you know, any time a woman is doing something magic or not um that anything that the guy doesn't like yeah yeah anytime of what you know like uh hillary clinton got called a witch she's clearly not magical (laughs) (laughs) clearly (laughs) um so i think that there's this sort of uh transition to oh you're a sorcerer you're a sorceress not necessarily a bad thing to call somebody but clearly like gendering and then further with witch, which yeah. is very gendered and very negative connotation. Yeah, it also, um, in the context that I was talking about, it also has negative connotations. Like, you know, in one group, a healer can also be called a sorcerer. 
it's a little bit different terminology, but also be referred to as a sorcerer if they are suspected to be working against their people. So, um, and then you're, they're in a dangerous position at that point. It it's definitely carries a negative connotation. Um, that it could mean a death sentence. Right. <laughs> So yeah, basically, I I see your point too though. Like, I, it probably is um, referencing like a a misogynistic view against women. Yeah, I mean, the not, whole movie does. So I'm not yeah. surprised if that would be the message there. Well, it seems like the. I mean, I maybe I'm uh, defending the position of the movie unnecessarily or un, unduly, but like it seems like Memnon's culture has a. A sexual division of labor between men and women where a lot of the women are like harem girls or sex workers and stuff but in the tribal culture that balthazar leads the women are more or less equals and warriors and in fact uh when they storm gamora it seems like it's just balthazar and a team of female warriors like he doesn't bring any men with him it yeah, is it's true yeah. So it seems like the, you know, the protagonist team, The Rock and his crew, are mostly uh, females. Yeah, yeah, especially in that in that scene specifically. But I think we could also potentially transition now a little bit to the, like, what I'm calling the defiling dick theme. <laughs> <laughs> Defile that dick. Um, yeah. Where, like, you know, culturally, our culture has this concept of, like, a woman loses her purity. She is, you know, in some way, like, dirty once right. she has sex, which implies that, like... Dicks defile. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I could see a case for dicks defiling, but <laughs> but you know, there's like a lot of issues around that. This idea that like women who don't have sex are pure, they're right. sacred, they're virgins, they're untainted, and somehow sex taints you, and sex like makes you like lose something. Yeah. And at yeah. some point, Memnon literally says to her when he thinks that uh, the sorceress has had sex. Um, you are diminished. Right. And that implies this sort of idea that, like, the act of sex would diminish her. And she also says, like, my powers um, go away when, if I have sex, which is largely one of those things that I was like, ew, this movie is super gross in that way. And I kind of just made a joke that, oh, she probably just told him that so she didn't have to, like, bone him. And it turns out that was true. Yeah. She fucking lied. That was yeah. actually, I thought that was pretty smart writing. Yeah, she said something to the effect of, yeah, what do you think I would say in order to get him to not try to, like, fuck me? Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> it was a very elaborate friend zoning. Yeah. <laughs> but I really yeah. appreciated this idea of, like, you know, it, it almost tells sort of this this story of like so she's supposed to be virgin she's sacred she's powerful in her her virginity and then she has sex and she loses power and she's tainted but she doesn't actually as we already know but yep. what we also learn is like you know when she puts her hand in the pot she pulls out the snake and she starts like using the snake as a sword to attack memnon you know she says this is my own magic or whatever she's kind of reclaiming her power which yeah. right. i think like is Potentially an unintended feminist message of, like, be, sex yeah. does not destroy me. It does not defile me. I am still powerful. And um, and she almost has this, like, renewed sense of power because yeah. she knows that, like, she's she knows that she's got people who have her back. Yeah. She's not going to be fighting against Memnon alone. Mm. She's got people who have her back, which means that she has the ability not only to use her power but to, like, use her power against someone who previously potentially could have done her great harm. Yeah, she can flourish without having to give anything up. Yeah. And you're giving me an insight. Like, he says, oh, you look different. You're diminished in some way. Well, she did look different. She was more powerful because she had realized her own independence. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, she was carrying herself very confidently after that Yes, point. she was. And that's what he noticed. So what was diminished was his control over her. That's yeah. so true. Yeah. Oh my God, he thought she was diminished, <laughs> but it was just his power over her. Yeah. Yeah. 
nice. Yeah, she got a taste of freedom and 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 you know, at first like she and the rock, he's also like a captor of her and they have like this weird thing that I'm not super in love with, but yeah. he at some point breaks her free and he's like, "Go ahead, run, see how far you get." You know, and yeah. to some degree that's not that's not really releasing her from no, captivity. No, it's not a real choice. No, it's not. <laughs> Be with me or you will die one way or the other. It's not a choice. Yeah, but I think that she does get to make the choice when she tells The Rock that these people will die if I'm here. And then she, you know, um, leaves him in the middle of the night. And that yeah. was her choice. And she knew she was going to go back to Memnon. And she, she takes was, a hit for the team. Yeah, she... <laughs> she she decides to protect this city, and it is her own choice to go back to Memnon to potentially, I guess, like, launch this attack almost. Because yeah. she didn't really know that they were going to follow her. I mean, she might have assumed, but she didn't really know. It's true. They didn't have a plan. No. There was no discussion between her and the Rock that, that she was going to go there and, you know, pull the snake out and start waving <laughs> it at Memnon, and then Rock was going to come in and be like, BOOM! Like, there was no discussion <laughs> yeah. of that. She was so, probably like, I'm about to die. I may as well go out fighting. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she was planning to go out by saving the tribes yeah. that, that Memnon's armies were, I guess, strong enough to kill. Like, if they got the drop on him, I guess, in the middle of the night, they would have killed but them. But she was by then already super tired of him using her gifts, which were meant to heal and help people, to subjugate others. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the movie does a pretty good job of inverting... At the end, and unexpectedly, the typical Madonna horror complex that a lot of media leans into about, like, the purity of women who haven't had sex versus the impurity <laughs> of women who have, yeah. for shame. <laughs> yeah, I think Casey's totally right. You you hit the nail on the head. Like, they accidentally stumbled upon this great feminist uh, commentary about them. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm like, they, they can't really be that smart. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is 2000. Two? Two. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, and we were kind of pointing out, like, this is a more diverse cast than we could expect to get, like, today in some regard. Yeah. Like, other than, like, a movie where The Rock is the main character, yeah. 18 years later, we wouldn't find a cast like this. And the weird thing about that is, I actually think that this film is accidentally really good about like issues like diversity, I think or, so, or uh, female empowerment, and that it is all accidental. But now, when it happens in movies, it is so painfully like intentional that it is borderline just pandering. It, it, yeah, it's just yeah. pandering. Right. It doesn't feel like it is done from a place of like genuine representation it done it feels like they're like oh we heard it's cool to be woke so we're gonna cash in yeah. on this right yeah this movie just is accidentally amazing yeah. <laughs> and accidentally like open-minded and presents like a kind of a cool worldview about yeah and like a pretty good message about how people who want to unite at the cost of morality are the villains whereas people who just come together in spite of their differences and kind of work towards the same goal are going to eventually be the victors. Yeah, an important message in these trying times. Oh, good point. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like there's one point where um, The Rock is fighting with yeah. Balthazar and he literally says to him, we're on the same side. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I that it was just, a bro moment. Yeah, it just it just felt so relevant to some of the discussions that I feel like we have in this political world that we live in, where there's a lot of purity tests on the left, and it's like, right. dude, we're on the same side. Like, yeah, let's just, not squabble over bullshit. Yeah, yeah, like I know that some of these things are important, but you can't completely say I'm going to take my ball and go home because you won't you know, operate under my very strict worldview. You know, it's. It's one of those things where Balthazar was basically implying, like, fuck you, don't come to my town, we're not going to help you, we're not going to support you, and The Rock's like, we're on the same side, we should work together. And thankfully, they were able to, like, overcome that, and I think Balthazar realized, like, oh, despite the fact that, like, maybe he had some beef with the Acadians for whatever reason. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that Balthazar also might have a point to some degree. Like, it, even though it is very thin motivation, like... The Rock's journey kind of starts with this 
as a mercenary, and then his brother gets killed by Memnon's army, and that's when he decides to take revenge. It is a flimsy plot point, but it is kind of his motivating reason for doing what he's doing. He seems to find his virtue and morality kind of by accident in a couple of days throughout the action of the movie. Well, he goes from mercenary to a freedom fighter in the blink of an eye. Okay, he's a mercenary. He's hired to kill the sorcerer. He finds out she's a hot chick. He wants to bone her, so he doesn't want to kill her. So he makes up some shit in his head that if he just captures her (laughs) and brings her back to it, the people that hired him, maybe it'll be okay. Ooh, I don't like that. That's what happened. (laughs) And then... um. He, it turns to revenge when um, his brother's killed, as you said. But that doesn't mean he's suddenly a freedom fighter. He, he only goes from revenge to freedom fighter when he wants to make that speech and suddenly it's all true. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, after he throws down with Balthazar, he like gives this rousing speech to the people. And they're all like, yeah! And he like gets this rush of the crowd from the people <laughs> the I, rock gets a rush from the people hmm. i would i would argue though that he does have some altruism or maybe i'm using that wrong word wrong but some like altruistic traits early yeah. on because he uh like the thief kid the as oh, we're yeah. calling him the, oh, urchin, yeah, the like urchin. you know he stole money from uh the Rock, and The Rock chased him through town, didn't kill him, didn't hurt him, offered to pay him to help, uh, and then when the kid gets caught by the guards in the process of helping The Rock, he saves the kid rather than taking the killing blow against Memnon, which is a really big deal, because that would have just ended everything, but he, like, couldn't let that kid die. Despite the fact that he basically had nothing to gain by keeping this kid alive and could have very easily ended the entire movie by just killing Memnon right there. <laughs> I can't help but think that if he had just taken the killing shot on Memnon, they would have the guards probably wouldn't have cut that kid's hand off in the kerfluffle and the kid probably would have gotten away and been fine. So But then we wouldn't have a movie. So. <laughs> But you're right. Yeah, I wasn't thinking about that. Yeah, he does seem to have a good motivating yeah. drive. Like, he w- is not willing to let a child have his hand cut off yeah. to um, make the killing blow on Memnon. Yeah. I guess he figured <laughs> they were going to kill him anyway, so he's like, let's join together instead. Yeah. <laughs> And I think we failed to mention, but there were a lot of boobs in this film. Yeah. Oh man, we should have talked about that. There were so many boobs. And it was I, very distracting. I had such mixed feelings, because yeah. on one hand I'm like, hey, that's like al- almost every single, no, actually every single woman in this movie yep. is like being presented on a sexually objectifying platter, but on the yeah. other hand, I too like boobs. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a struggle. Yeah. <laughs> and the was, struggle is real. It's true. I, w- I, I often feel that way with movies. I'm usually pretty conflicted. Yeah. It was like this is this is horrible, and I I would refuse to watch it. But I mean, I can't look away. I can't look away. <laughs> there was one part where the sorcerer was like leaning over, and I was like, "Is that a nipple?" <laughs> <laughs> it's a fair question. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a fair point. It it is it is um, often a challenging discussion to have about these types of movies that are sexually exploitative. But, I mean, eye candy is eye candy for a reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it also is one of the reasons why I'm like, did they realize they made a semi-feminist point at the end? I don't or think Or was so. that purely accidental, considering how many just sexual objectified boobies we saw? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe, like, somewhere in the writing at the very end, somebody was like, I know what we can do. But, like, after all, the boobs and stuff have been in it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. One of the other things I could kind of touch on was a little bit about the Stockholm Syndrome and the idea that um, the sorcerer is uh, basically the in-captivity of both Memnon and um, the Rock at some point. Yeah. Um, But I think one of the biggest differences is consent um, in her relationship with uh, Memnon versus the Rock, where... Uh, she does eventually come around to The Rock, and it's kind of debatable whether or not that was, like, you know, um, purely because 
of their romantic attraction or if it was a little bit of that like Stockholm Syndrome-y type thing like right yeah this does do the typical thing in movies where the main character and their love interest start out by hating each other and they're fighting and mm-hmm. insulting each other and then they grow to like each other which I, I believe we've touched on in previous episodes is not how healthy relationships start exactly but it is a common theme of a lot of romance novels um not speaking from personal experience uh-huh, just a no. friend told me <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> asking for a friend <laughs> speaking from a friend but one of the other things though is that um a lot of times I feel like in these sorts of movies where the the you know main character guy gets the girl and maybe he was kind of a dick to her or whatever and kind of shitty the guy in general is kind of a douchebag or very underwhelming or very mediocre and that Um, is not the rock that is not the rock (laughs) honestly like i'm like the rock is incredible i mean first off he's hot that's not important but he is such (laughs) hey we've objectified the women a (laughs) little let's objectify the men michael clark duncan oh my god Yeah. yeah Um, but then, yeah, he's also, um, he's a strong warrior. He's also, uh, very good at, like, tricks and sneaky stuff and, like, Yeah, rogue, I like that. Maneuvers. Yeah, he's very intelligent. He pulls off some, um, heist moves and some tricks and stuff. So he's got, like, a lot of wit, a lot of strategy. He's friends with his camel? Yeah. He Love can that. he can literally speak to his camel like a Disney princess, <laughs> and so can Cassandra. <laughs> I mean, she's a but she's I guess a sorcerer. She's, she's, also a Disney princess. she's made of magic. Yeah, I guess they're both Disney princesses. <laughs> but yeah, and he's also just his heart is in the right place. He yeah. um he's willing to fight for the people. He saves that kid, like we mentioned, when he had a chance to take revenge. Um, he seems to be interested in the bigger cause when he says we're on the same side and and he doesn't fall into these like tit for tat squabbles as much i mean he does kind of talk about a little bit of wanting to get revenge for his brother but ultimately that's not his motivating force because he only really brings it up once and it's so much to the point where i'm like was that even worth having in there yeah i think they could have scrapped the whole thing with the brother because they're if they're not going to lean into this kind of familial theme then it kind of does a disservice to the movie. I think it would have been better to have started off with a more direct conflict between The Rock and Memnon. Yeah. That, like, established them as maybe old rivals somehow. Right. Or I feel weird saying this, but, like, more personal stakes. The killing of the brother thing should feel personal. It just doesn't. And by the middle of the movie, you've almost forgotten. And The Rock's motivations have shifted so many times up to that point that it cheapens the whole thing. So just a little punchier, a little punch up to the script is all it would have taken. Yeah. Well, since we've covered all that, I guess it's time for Evil, Stupid, or Misunderstood. This is Evil, Stupid, or Misunderstood. The part of the show where we take a look at the motivations of the antagonist and determine if they were misunderstood, or evil, or maybe stupid. So guys, we've got Memnon. He's kind of a dick. (laughs) But is he evil, stupid, or misunderstood? I think he's just stupid. Okay. I'm listening. (laughs) And uh, is a bully, basically. Well, that would probably be evil. Is yeah, I guess he's just not. He's just kind of underwhelming, really. I don't know. He's the only reason he uh, even knows what he's doing is because he's got the sorceress telling him what to do all the time. He doesn't have these great plans. He just kind of knows what the future is going to be, hmm. and knows how to exploit the situation to his advantage. So he's maybe he's um, resourceful. Yeah, but th- he's not necessarily in, very intelligent or anything. This is sounding pretty evil to me, though, because he does know how to kind of, like, manipulate people. He has killed a lot of people, so he's pretty evil. It's true. Yeah. He's pretty fashy. Can I add a fourth option? Oh, I like it. He's misguided. Okay. okay. Because right. he his intentions are to restore order and peace. 
but he does th- so through murder. So his intentions or his motive is potentially a, a reasonable one. I don't know if I would say it's good. I don't know how bad they don't they don't paint us a picture of how bad things were before his rule. The only thing we understand is that his rule involves a lot of killing and I don't know if he's killing more or fewer people or what the deal is. Um, but what I do know is that his motive is to bring some sort of order or peace, but his methods are horrible. So it sounds yeah. like we've got a bit of a Thanos scenario here. Yeah. Where we have a villain who perceives a problem and only believes that there's one incredibly drastic and ultimately unhelpful solution when he has it within his power to have a much more peaceable one. Yeah. Yeah. So stupid. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's how I usually like to boil that down. <laughs> it's funny because at the beginning of this section, I was like, he's definitely not stupid. But now I'm like, no, he's stupid because he's myopic and like doesn't think outside of his own little dumbass box. Yeah. I think you guys convinced me. I, I was gonna give him the benefit of the doubt, but I think yeah, maybe he's pretty stupid. He could. I mean, he also had a like a seer, like he could have come up with all kinds of great ways to fix things. So yeah, he just was asking the wrong questions, which is difficult because it's like, was he asking the wrong questions because he's an evil guy and he doesn't care about doing it the right way, or is he just dumb and doesn't understand how to ask those questions and how to do things peacefully? Is yeah. he, yeah, is he failing to do this peacefully because he genuinely doesn't care about peace? Or is he failing to do this peacefully because he is so limited in his concept of what is possible that he just doesn't think to ask? Yeah. Or, or were the writers. <laughs> <laughs> we, are, we are really shitting on the writers a lot. <laughs> well, it's their fault. That's fair. A weirdly semi-complex villain from a pretty cheesy film. Yeah, yeah. rather simple plot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Alright, well then I think at this point we can head to the smithy and forge some ratings. Welcome to the Smithy, where we each share an epic moment from the movie and then give it a rating in the traditional rating system of 1 to 10 swords. Casey, you're the guest. Do you want to share an epic moment from the movie and then give it a rating? I guess I'm going to just say the epic feature was The Rock's glorious long hair. That works. That's... All that I'm was gonna, pretty good. <laughs> that's all I'm going to go with. I'm so bad at these. That's but okay. for rating... I, I think I'm going to give it like an eight. Nice. Eight swords? Eight swords. Wow. It's a cheesy movie, but I do have such a soft spot for it. And I think because it, it's got some cringy stuff, but it kind of makes up for the cringy things, which makes me like it more by doing like that weird pseudo feminist thing at the end and <laughs> yeah. a lot of diversity and representation. And uh, yeah, so I feel like it ends up being better than... Then it has any right to be better than it has any right to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I ended up enjoying it a lot. And then also, like, I remember watching this movie when I was like 11 when it came out in the movie theater. And I probably shouldn't have seen it, but I super <laughs> wanted to be the sorcerer. And I, or, and I really, really just wanted to look like her. And I remember I used to like take sheets and like wrap them around my body <laughs> like her. And I would drink like. Uh, Minute Maid berry juice out of like plastic wine glass looking cups and pretend like I was Egyptian, I guess. I don't even <laughs> know what ethnicity. And Mesopotamian. Yeah, and Mesopotamian. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great uh, memory. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I made my dad take me to Party City to go buy like Egyptian themed costumes in the middle of summer because I really needed to, like, be in this world. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I would argue that this movie is made for about the 11-year-old set, so... Yeah. Yeah. Except with all the, like, boobs. No, that seems about right. (laughs) (laughs) 11-year-old Jamie would have been so on board with this movie. I'm pretty sure when it came out, I was in my 20s. (laughs) Alright, Chelsea, an epic moment from the movie, and your rating. 
So I actually have an epic feature as well. Nice. And it also is about the rock. <laughs> I mean, how can it not be? I just spit. <laughs> In a good way. <laughs> um, it's just his glare that he gives people. He has the best glare. It's so intimidating, but also endearing at the same time. <laughs> I just loved it. He just, they had so many close-ups of him glaring at people. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of one of the things he's known for in wrestling, so. Exactly, so he got to kind of bring some of that persona to the film. So I loved that. That's my epic feature. Um, I'm going to give the movie six Acadian Swords. Um, I liked it. I thought it was a great movie, and uh, it was fun, and it's terrible, but <laughs> I recommend it. <laughs> nice. Respectable. Yeah. All right. Well, for myself, before I give my epic moment, I just want to... Um, I feel like this is a good time to point out that I am uh, a lifelong wrestling fan. I was watching the Survivor Series the year that The Rock made his debut, um, was not a fan of Rocky Maivia at the time, like many other wrestling fans. Um, he hadn't really earned his... Um, or I, I mean, I think a lot of fans didn't feel like he had earned his spot, maybe. That's a thing that wrestling fans talk about sometimes. But when he made that heel turn and became The Rock, and really that like his personality started to come out... I mean, obviously, ever since then, like I have always looked up to him. I, I think he's... Just one of the best. <laughs> love watching him wrestle. Anytime he's in a movie, love to see it. He's so much fun. His movies are just insane, <laughs> over the top, just like his wrestling performances. The cocky uh, attitude. And I I'll make a confession, much like Casey with her um, wrapping up in sorceress gear. Um, one time for my acting class, I came to school as The Rock. Nice. Uh, and my dad like made me a title belt and I wore like the Adidas like trainer pants That's and amazing. like the whole rock get up and <laughs> spoke about myself in the third person so uh, I'll have to and this was during high school so <laughs> I was gonna say we were very different ages <laughs> yeah, yeah like 17 yeah yeah, yeah. But it was for a class. But then again, I walked around the whole day carrying a title belt. So Pretty great. Um, but so my epic moment, uh, somewhat related to that, would be Balthazar and the Rock's fight scene. Where they're just breaking through stuff and smacking each other around and getting some icy glares. And yeah, Casey is reminding me that at the beginning of the fight, they run at each other with swords and <laughs> clash swords. And their mighty biceps are so <laughs> powerful that the swords shatter and they realize that no weapons of mortal men will be enough. And only their <laughs> immortal fists will be <laughs> sufficient to battle each other. And like gods of Olympus tear apart uh, Balthazar's camp, going through tables in fine old wrestling tradition, uh, kicking the crap out of each other, using illegal objects, and having the crowd uh, in the form of the little boy pointing out, that's cheating, you can't do that, yeah. much like a, a shiny, bright-eyed wrestling fan that I used to be when the villain would grab a chair. No, I'm just kidding. I always liked it when they used chairs. But, <laughs> yeah, it was... it just It's such a great homage to The Rock's wrestling background. And another just uh, side epic moment is that in this movie, he is credited as The Rock, not that <laughs> fake name that people call him these days that, that I won't even dignify with uh, reciting it here. But, uh... I'm going to have to give this movie a seven swords. Um, it's a lot of fun. It is the perfect length at an hour and a half. Always a big fan of that. It gets in, tells its story, and doesn't overstay its welcome. It's cheesy. It's ridiculous. It's everything I want in a movie. Seven uh, curved Acadian swords. Nice. Right on the money. <laughs> I just realized that The Rock's initials are DJ, so he could be DJ Rock. <laughs> I'm sure that's been a, a shtick in, in wrestling. And I'm sure I'm not the first person to come up with that. No, nah, maybe not. <laughs> well, now that we've got that out of the way, let's head to the bounty board. Well, uh, I think Casey has a bounty for everyone today. 
Uh, yeah, so I'm gonna plug my own graphic design work uh, because I am a graphic designer and I specialize in branding, packaging, lettering, and some illustration. Um, and I am looking for new projects to work on. Where can our listeners find you? <laughs> my website is caseycannon.design, which is C-A-S-E-Y-C-A-N-N-O-N dot design. That's Casey like Casey and Cannon like a big gun. Yup. <laughs> Casey Big Guns Cannon. <laughs> oh, you got a nickname now. Right on. <laughs> Well, you you all should go definitely check it out because she's an amazing artist and she did our logo for us. That's right. If you want evidence of how awesome of an artist she is, just take a look at our logo. Thanks, guys. Thank you. (laughs) And on that note, it's time to rewrite history. This is Rewriting History, the part of the show where we... Think about the movie we just watched and come up with an idea for a sequel, a reboot, or a spinoff. And guys, I think we all agree that this movie really needs a Cassandra spinoff, putting her in the driver's seat. Because she was a great character. And that's the sorcerer, because I don't think we mentioned her name before. (laughs) I think we touched on it. I think it helps to clarify, though. Yeah. A sorcerer (laughs) spinoff. Maybe she could have an apprentice. Oh. <laughs> but it's an all-female cast. Oh yeah, I was gonna say a spinoff where she goes and finds herself because she don't need no man. I like Ooh, that. I that, like that. The, okay, yeah. let's talk about that. Yeah, although like I do want to see more of the rock. So, well, he she could be like a side character. She could get together with the warrior women. Yeah, nice. The yeah Nubian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Nubian warrior women. That would be awesome. Maybe they come across some slavers. Okay. And um, Cassandra just can't let it go. Maybe she used to be a slave, and we get some backstory on, on her. Ooh, I mean, that and, would make sense. I mean, people have probably been trying to use her gifts for their own means right. for her whole life. And so she wants to free them, and they're going to be like sex slaves. And um, she gets the Nubians' help, and um, they're on board because they're not down with that shit either. And um, they go help her liberate those slaves, and one of them is the apprentice. I mean, I guess we could maybe do a thing where it's the urchin kid, like, raised by, like, I mean, he's, you know, probably doesn't have parents. He was clearly interested in, like, hanging out with the Nubian warrior women. He came with Balthazar and them uh, in the cart. Like, maybe they kind of adopt him and, like, raise him in a more egalitarian system. Oh, Teach him a little was, bit of magic. Okay, I was thinking that it would be one of the liberated slaves. That's good, too. Yeah, but maybe whoever the slaves were supposed to be for, some other powerful ruler gets wind of this uh, raid and uh, tries to come after them. I think I want a sequel where Balthazar braids the rock's hair. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll go with that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be epic. Yeah. Just, I mean, that would t- probably take about an hour and a half, right? That's a mm-hmm. long mane. Yeah. So long. <laughs> <laughs> what would they talk about? Boys. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> we, could, we could maybe, what if we do like both kind of interspersed, like where they're cutting yes. back and forth, like yeah. we're seeing the liberation, and then back in the Rock's <laughs> kingdom, Balthazar is braiding his hair, and they're like kind of recounting like war stories and kind of like and playing things out. And they're cooking dinner, and yeah. they're taking care of the home. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I like it. And yeah. they're making sure that the people who are still at the uh, at palace. The, the palace are all safe. And yeah, and they're doing all the domestic things. I love it. While the ladies are out kicking ass and taking names. Yeah. I love it. The way it should be. Yeah. <laughs> it is done. So good. We've got our movie. Yeah. I love it. I guess it's time for a side quest. Heyo, Traveler, and welcome to the Side Quest, where we discuss a, another piece of fantasy fiction that you should engage with. Yeah, and 
Jamie, you brought up a really good point that this movie is a lot like some of the storylines in the game Titan Quest. Titan Quest? What's Titan Quest? I totally know what Titan Quest is. I've been playing it since, like, around the time this movie came out. (laughs) (laughs) It's a hack-and-slash-adventure game in ancient Greece. Yeah, and ancient Egypt and ancient... China, Mesopotamia, and um, now you can go to like Scandinavia. Yeah, that was a recent expansion that just came out. Yeah, so the game came out uh, originally in the early 2000s and then got a remastered edition that is fucking great. Um, This is one of those Diablo style ARPGs, point and click, uh, or like mouse click based combat games with awesome powers and one of the really cool things it does that i thought was really innovative at the time was it has skill trees but every character eventually gets to go down two different paths so you can take like the warfare path and the defensive path and be like a really damage dealing tank or you can do like a warfare and pyromancy character or like there's i think there's like eight or ten different skill trees like pyro yeah like pyromancy (laughs) earth magic air magic dream magic warriors and rogues and archers and you can uh, select two of them for every character and kind of create a, a unique mishmash of different powers and some synergize better together but it's really fun to experiment and just like pound your way through uh all these ancient settings yeah and it all the different skill trees and combinations make for a high replayability factor, too. Yeah, I've probably put, God, I have to imagine, at least somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 hours into this game over the last, like, 15 years. Yeah, and I still keep coming back to it whenever I need some of that hack and slash fun. And they capture the theme really well. I, I really am kind of transported into, like, this mythological Greece. It's it's pretty fun for that. And also, it's a multiplayer game, which is fun. Online multiplayer game. Yep. So you can get together with some of your friends online and, and hack and slash together. Yeah. Let's go play it right now. I will! <laughs> well, everybody, thank you for tuning in and listening and joining us. And thank you again to Casey Cannon for coming along on this little journey with us you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) make sure to follow us on facebook and instagram and check out those just amazing memes that some really brilliant meme creator posts every week on our instagram you can also send us a question at swordsandsatire at gmail.com if you want to talk about your favorite uh, rock wrestling match or movie starring The Rock or just anything else about The Rock or anything. Or share some of your theories about the themes of the movie we yeah. watched. Yeah, anything you think we missed, go ahead and, and send us a friendly little message. But until next time, Hail, Hail Crom! Crom!